You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Thank you this morning for uh, allowing me to speak, Pastor Hayward. I really appreciate that. And uh, just before we get into it, yeah, I don't often do this, but I felt the Lord had something to say to you. Um, as you were up there, I was watching you. And I think um, continue pursuing the Lord, but two things. Make sure that you take people and disciple them in pursuing God and that you train others. And also that you surround people, that you can um, have areas of unbelief, areas of sin that can ask you hard questions and orient you back to Jesus. That's going to be really important in your pursuit because the enemy wants to destroy us and wants to destroy that passion. And so make sure you surround people that can remind you about Jesus. This is something. I don't often do that. That's, uh, uh, I go to a, uh, we, Church 21 is a fellowship Baptist church, although we move in the charismatic and we want to see the Holy Spirit and we've seen the Holy Spirit move and have great words, but oftentimes it, it comes to preaching. So it was just very something specific that the Spirit was speaking to me about you. So... Yes, so my name is David Ritz, uh, son of Wayne and Jay, and uh, my family, uh, Jeannie, actually Pastor Hayward married us nine years ago um, over in the TELUS, uh, the TELUS building, and uh, yeah, and um, we have, Levi was born in Montreal, uh, and he's four years old, and Annabelle is seven years old, going into grade two, which is crazy. Uh, I don't feel that old, but sometimes look in the mirror, and it's like, oh, yeah, the, the hair's reminding me that I'm a little bit older. Um, but the cool thing about being able to speak here this morning is actually I was sent from Coal Lake Community Church to Montreal way back in 2006. And uh, I was terrified. I had no idea what I was doing going there. And uh, I just wanted to say to Pastor Hayward, you, your, your ministry spoke so much into my philosophy of ministry that I carry with me to this day. Um, I think one of the vivid images that I have is <laughs> after you would say amen on the last prayer after you'd preach, 10 or 15 people running outside to go have a smoke and then come in really fast so that they didn't miss worship. And what that taught me, it was such a beautiful thing to me because it was just engaging people where they're at and directing them to, to the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to work through. And that has had a profound effect on my ministry and just walking with people where they're at and pointing them towards Jesus. So th- thank you for modeling that leadership for us. And um, why Montreal? Well, I was a second-year Bible college student at Briarcrest, sitting in a chapel and wondering where I should do my internship. I knew that I wanted to be gone for an entire year. I just didn't know where. I'd already talked, actually. Hey, can I, can I intern at Cold Lake? Yeah, you're more than welcome to come here. And I was like, oh, but I kind of want to be in a big urban center. I kind of want to be somewhere. I had no idea where. And these two guys came, and they started talking about Quebec. And I knew one thing I felt called to 18 to 25 to 30-year-old people. Um, and, and it was just like, uh, like where, where do I fit in all that? These two guys came and they started talking about Montreal. And initially, I kind of tuned them out. I'm like, I don't speak French. It'd be really hard. But then they started talking about some of the statistics. 250,000 university students in the downtown core of Montreal. 250,000. I grew up in Medicine had a 50,000. That's like times five. Just students alone. It has one of the largest student per capita ratios in North America, second only to Boston. So we like to fight Boston on many things other than hockey. Um, but anyways, um, and the other thing that shocked me was that Quebec is one of the most unreached places in North America, one of the most under-evangelized places that we have. At one point, the Quebecois people were in the top 12 most unreached people group in the world. And I was like, how is this even possible in Canada? I had, it, it shocked me. And uh, so I, I approached these guys and said, hey, do you want to take on an intern for a year? And they're like, uh, sure, okay. And uh, I went there, and I, God changed everything. Uh, I met my wife in Montreal. We were both Briarcrest alumni, but we met in Montreal, not at, at Bible College. And uh, since then, God just 
oriented our heart to Montreal. We fell in love with the city, fell in love with the people, and uh, fell in love with the ministry there. So long story short, through nine years, we were out here. We were youth pastoring for a little while in Wainwright, and then God called us back to Quebec. We've been there for four years. And so now I work uh, at a church, Church 21. It's been around for five years. It's a newer church plant and uh, in the downtown core. And uh, my responsibility is largely university students. And so we have McGill University that has about 40,000 students, Concordia just down the street, another 40,000. We have um, uh, University of Montreal. We have UCAM. Like, there's a lot of students. <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done. And so our goal, our vision as a church is um, we partnered with an organization called Transform Quebec. Transform Quebec wants to see 25,000 churches planted in the next 40 years. Our personal piece of that, we want to see 2.5 million Montrealers come to know Jesus. Um, it's a very aggressive in the next 40 years. And sometimes that's very overwhelming when you think of the math and how much you have to have per year. But our God says that he'll do abundantly far more than we can ask or hope for. And we want to see it go from the most unreached, the most reached place, where we're actually sending out to other places in the world. And so how are we engaging Montreal? How are we actually trying to work out seeing Jesus being lifted up high in Montreal? Well, we work this out through things that we call missional communities. These are what we call city groups. And these are about 10 to 15 people working out their identity in the gospel, through the gospel, and we call these city groups, we're saying they're families of servants on mission to make much of Jesus. And so identities are super, super central to what we do. But what's really important is the gospel. It's the message of the gospel. I can think of nothing more important. I often joke about how, like, you know, I grew up in the church and went to Bible college, but I had to go to the most unreached place to really understand this thing we call the gospel. Because oftentimes, if you were like me, when I heard the gospel, I'm like, that's for like an evangelist, like, whoops, like Billy Graham, like he has this thing and it's this, you know, okay, I get it, like we sinned and Jesus came and redeemed us, like, okay, but like I think God's called me to a, a more complex message or a more complex means of discipling. And yet what I've come to learn is like, no, it all comes back to the simple truth of the gospel. And so it helps us to understand what the gospel actually is. What is it? If we believe that it's so transform transformative, it's so vital, it's so important, we need to know what it is, what, what the gospel actually is. And so this is something that we talk about often in Church 21, and we actually sometimes will say, hey, if we ever move away from the gospel, if we ever move away from Jesus, you're welcome to leave you're welcome to go to another church that actually does that because we don't ever want to leave. We don't actually ever want to leave the message of the gospel. We don't ever want to leave Jesus. We want to make much, much of Jesus. So we believe that the gospel can be broken down into four parts, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And I'm going to kind of share, share it with you. And part of the reason why is as I became familiar with this narrative, I found that the Lord uses it in regular conversation all the time. Uh, I was sitting in a mall one time, and this, I got to know this lady. Uh, she wanted me to plug in her computer cord into the plug-in. And we got talking about what we do and all this kind of stuff. And she said, so what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And they're like, she's like, but you're so young. <laughs> I wasn't aware that pastors had to be really old. But anyways, uh, and, and she said, you're, so like, why, why church? Why religion? Why, what, what brings you to that? And I'm like, well... Excellent, let's go. So, in the beginning, <laughs> it's such a beautiful narrative. And sometimes I think when we want to share the gospel with people, sometimes we jump to Jesus without actually telling them why they need Jesus. Sometimes it's like we, we're excited and we should be excited, but we talk about, oh, the cross is set free. Set free from what? If they don't know what it is that they need to be set free from or why that's important, then we're giving them a message that makes no sense. And so we need to go back to the beginning. We need to go back and talk about creation. Creation is a wonderful thing. In the beginning, God created everything. And it was wonderful. And God said that it was good. And the pinnacle of creation was mankind. 
And yet mankind disobeyed the law of God, decided that they wanted to know good and evil for themselves. They wanted to determine their own destiny. They took and they ate of the fruit and disobeyed God. And in that moment, sin entered humanity. In that moment, the relationship that God had, God provided everything for them. Everything was available to them in the garden. All of their food, everything, God is just like, hey, be fruitful, multiple, enjoy what I've given you, enjoy creation, just, just don't eat of the free of the knowledge of good and evil, because in that day you'll die. But they decided, nope, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I want to determine my own destiny. And since that point, we've been living in that ever since then. And actually, as the, as the scriptures unfold, as a narrative of this, this gospel story unfolds and continues to go, we just we begin to see how deep the effects of sin actually are. We begin to see how affected our hearts actually are in rebellion towards God. So when we explain to our kids, we, we explain it in this way, a dirty heart and a clean heart. We talk about how you, right now it looks like you're, you're, you have a dirty heart. So we need to ask Jesus to change that, to, to ask him to change and clean our hearts. And I find that even as a helpful analogy for myself. So God gives them, as, as the story progresses, God calls the people onto his own. He gives them the law, and he says, hey, this is how you can live. I will be your God. You'll be my people. We'll live together in this great relationship. I'll give you this sacrificial uh, system so that we can deal with your heart, so that we can be in right relationship with each other. Um, our interns um, challenged each other with a Bible reading plan in 90 days, and I'm like, oh, I've never done that before. I'll jump on that. And then I was like, it's a pretty aggressive plan. <laughs> but what is amazing is, as I reread re through Leviticus, Leviticus is actually, nerd confession, one of my favorite books, um, which is not one of a, it's not a very popular book in this day and age, but it's one of my favorite books, especially the first seven chapters that talk about sacrifice. Because we begin to see God's heart through it. Because this is what he says. He says, hey, if you've sinned and you know it, there's a sacrifice for that. So this is what you need to bring. He said, but if you sin, you're not aware of it. You didn't, you're not sure that you, you, you're just not aware that you sinned, but it's revealed to you there's a sacrifice for that. But if you sin and you didn't know about it and nobody tells you about it, there's also a sacrifice for that. What does that tell you? That speaks to the nature of sin so intrinsically a part of our hearts. That we sin unintentionally without even knowing it at times. We, we violate God's law. We violate his commandments without even knowing it. And, but God in his wisdom and his grace gives us a sacrifice, gives, gave Israel a sacrifice to be able to atone for that. But we also get to see that it's not based on social status. That's an amazing thing too. Because he says, hey, Bring a bull. If you can't afford a bull, bring a ram. You can't afford a ram, then bring a couple pigeons. You can't afford pigeons, just bring some grain and throw it on the fire, and I'll atone for your sin. So it tells you that it's like God doesn't want social status to limit the relationship that he can have with his people. And this is something that the sacrificial system tells us. But it's incomplete. It's imperfect. Because they had to continually offer sacrifice. But not only that, it turned into a religious practice. It turned into some sort of rote thing that, that Israel had to do. They, did, they didn't experience the same kind of joy that David experienced when he said, oh man, I was glad when they said, let us come to the house of the Lord. When you read the Psalms, he like understands it's like the exciting thing about sacrifice is that we get to be back in relationship with God. So this should be the most exciting thing in the world. But Israel's like, ah, we've got to bring sacrifice again. And not only that, but they, were, they began to be enticed by the, the nations around them and began to look at their religious structures and been like, yeah, you know what? I think that's better. And so God sends prophets to say, hey, listen, I'm here. I love you. I, I want you to enjoy sacrifice. I want you to be back in relationship with us. And yet they ignored him. So God sends Jesus. God sends Jesus to deal with this heart that is, is dirty, this heart that's stained with sin. And as Jesus begins to preach, he says things like, 
You don't murder? That's great. I'm glad you didn't murder. But if you look at your brother with hate, it's as though you committed murder. You didn't, you didn't sleep with your neighbor's wife? That's great. I'm glad. Don't. But if you looked at her lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So Jesus begins to tell us that this, this severed relationship is intrinsically inside of us. It's the heart condition that needs to change. And so Jesus lives and fulfills the law by living it completely perfectly, not violating any of God's commandment. And then at 1 Peter 2.24 tells us that when he went to the cross, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you are healed. He wore our sin. He wore our shame so that we would no longer can... We're no longer sin and shame filled before God. This is an exciting thing. For the first time in Jesus' life, he experienced separation from God, which is something we experience daily. And it ached him and it pained him. But he needed, it wasn't just about the cross, he needed to reverse death. And so it's, it's almost like uh, sometimes it's described as like Jesus took God's wrath, slammed it down, boom, on the table, it's done. He satisfied it once and for all. And so he beats, he beats death and he rises from the dead and now we get to experience restoration. Because of Jesus, we get to be in right relationship with him. Um, and he's seated. He ascends to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, being an advocate to those who believe. And he sends the Holy Spirit to equip, to, to empower, to sanctify all those who call on the name of Jesus. And so we get to live in this time where we get glimpses of a future, a future kingdom, a time when we get to be eternally present with God. Like we, we have such an exciting hope where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. God will completely wipe it away, and we get to be in relationship with him. Man, this is the, this is the message of the gospel. This is what's exciting to share with people. When I got to like unpack that with this lady, I was just like, Oh, I want you to believe so bad. <laughs> this is such good news. This is, um, I share this with you because this is, this is a simple gospel narrative. We can never move away from this. This needs to be something that we understand really, really well. Every single story, every movie we watch tries to imitate the gospel in some sort of way. It, it, it tries to, but it always falls, it always falls short. It always falls short of the ultimate narrative that we get to have. And um, we want to adopt what we call gospel fluency. To be fluent in a language means that we don't think about what, we're, what we have to say. I took a French course when I first got there, and this guy, he, uh, he was originally from the Congo, and then he flew from the Congo to Russia, uh, didn't speak any Russian, and then ended up completing a PhD in Russian. And then he moved to France and learned French. And he was telling us, he's like, yeah, I speak eight languages and English isn't one of them. And I was like, you don't speak horrible English. And he's like, I have to think about my words when I say them. So I'm not fluent in English. And, and that really kind of stuck with me. It's like, we want to be fluent in the gospel so that we don't have to think about it. We want to be able to speak it and we want it to come out. If it's the most important message that we believe that we have, we want to be completely fluent in the language of the gospel. And we want to hear how people are looking for God, and we want to be able to point them to God. So as an example of that, I was sitting in Starbucks one time, and this guy gives me like a paper crane, and he puts it on my, on, he's like, here you go, man. And I was like, oh, thank you. My kids will like it. And... Uh, it was obvious that he, like, he didn't look completely homeless, but he looked like he was traveling. And I said, so what's, what's your story? What's going on? And he's like, man, I'm going to change the world. And I was like, wow, that's ambitious. And uh, I said, how do you view changing the world? What does that look like to you? He's like, man, we need a world without borders. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, and we need people to have, like, a basic living wage, man. Like, man, that will change everything. I'm like, you know what? Once, there was no borders. And he's like, oh, yeah? I'm like, I, you know, I, I believe in the Bible. I, I, I'm a Christian. And yeah, you're describing the garden, basically. There was no borders. And God took care of us. 
And he's like, yeah, man. And I'm like, yeah. But there is a problem. We can't get there because our hearts are staying with sin, and so we need someone to change our hearts because we can't live without borders anymore because we're too selfish. And he said, oh, religion. I'm like, man, one day there is going to be no more borders again. What you want is a future reality. You're looking for heaven. That begins to change the way we view people. It begins to even change the way we view political parties. When we begin to see how are people looking for the truths of the gospel? How are they trying to right wrongs? God has written eternity in our hearts. All of our hearts, not just those of us who believe. And so when we begin to understand and unpack what people are looking for, that begins the way that we, that, that changes the way we view people. Because we see, oh, like the spirit is actually at work in their heart. But they just need to know Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can actually give them what they're looking for. And so we want to be fluent in the gospel. We want to know this. Um, and so as a church, how have we worked out the Great Commission? Matthew 28, 19 to 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And we all want to make disciples that are living out the reality of the gospel. So we do this. We work this out at our church through an identity. Identity that's given to us by the very command of baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so when we get baptized, it means that it's kind of like when uh, the NHL draft happens, right? It's like, so-and-so, Montreal Canadiens, woo! Right, right? Montreal can eat? No? No. (laughs) Oilers, woo! There we go. Right? They get to put on this team, and now they're part of this team, right? They're identified through the jersey. They they live and breathe and eat whatever team it is that they get drafted to. Baptism, in, in some senses, is the same way as like, I'm part of Team Jesus now. No matter what I pursue, I get to be part of Jesus. Man, that's the most, I love baptismal services. We've actually, uh, <laughs> we think we have a big yard until I saw my parents' backyard. We have an urban Montreal backyard, which is actually not very big at all, but for urban Montreal, it's quite big. And uh, my dad actually rebuilt our deck. Our landlord was thrilled. But uh, we baptize people uh, on our back deck. And it's awesome. It's so exciting. Because it means that people have decided, no matter what, I'm pursuing Jesus. I forsake all others. It's like a wedding ceremony. Before God and everybody else, I forsake all others, and I'll be true to this person. And it's so exciting to see that. And so what does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit? We, we have an expression, and it's become one of my favorite expressions, which is living ordinary life with gospel intentionality. Ordinary life with gospel intentionality. And so we need to understand what our identity is to be able to live ordinary life with gospel intentionality. So we're baptized in the name of the Father. So what does that mean? It means we become part of a family. It means we get to live out our identity as family together. We try and work this out through our city groups, our missional communities. We try and keep them to about 10 or 15, and when they grow to about 20, we, it's like, okay, it's time to multiply it out um, because we really want a lot of care to happen. Our city group leaders, we, we say, you're mom and dad. <laughs> you are spiritual parents. That changes the mentality that we have towards the, the, the care of the groups because all of a sudden they're like, well, wait, but that means that if they're my kids, then I need to know them. Yeah, you do. That means I need to like, know how they're developing and walking in their like, discipleship. Yeah, you do. <laughs> we need people in our lives like that. And so this is where the bulk of our shepherding and care happens within city groups. Um, and we have about eight city groups across uh, Montreal. But this is such an important identity piece to catch. We desperately need community together. We desperately need one another. As we live life together, we're going to work through hurts and pains And we need to be united in a family identity. We're not meant to live apart. The the Trinity lives in community. And it kind of points us like we need to be living in community as well. So I say, surviving high school, man, 
you need people that can point you back to Jesus. And so we get to remind each other who God is, and we, we experience each other's hurts, their pains, their joys, and their excitements. And we're always trying to look for ways to invite others into our families through meals. I mean, nothing speaks the love language of students like free food, and, uh, or neighbors as well. Um, but not only is it a family, but our identity with God as Father gives us so much security in this life. Jesus tells us in Matthew, and you, you mentioned it this morning, and actually this is uh, the second time this week that we've heard this, but Matthew 6, 31 and 34, Therefore do not, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Man, we forget that. It's easy to forget that. Lots of things change really quickly. Life throws a lot of storms at us. And we need family to be able to point us back to the Father and say, hey, don't forget. So we work with McGill students. Um, McGill students are those high school students that, I don't know if you guys remember, you know those, you know those classmates that when they would get 95% on their test, they're like, I need to talk to the teacher right now. I don't understand why I got 95%. And you're like, dude, I got like 60%. I'm happy I passed. What's your problem? It's like, ah, they're crazy, right? And, or the people who have a plan from like grade one, they're like, I'm, I'm going to be a doctor. And like, you know, they're, they got this like crazy, that's McGill students. It's like pretty much every McGill student that I've ever met. They're like bound and determined to like, be highly academic, and praise the Lord, like they've got a great medical school, they've got great engineering school, like, like they're really smart people. And yet, when their identity is lied in being a student, when their marks start to slip, we have depression, we have frustration. And so what we need to do is we need to remind them and we say, hey, if you're looking for your security in your marks, to give you a future career, you've forgotten that God, your Father, will provide everything that you need in the future. He's the one who'll give you your career. There's actually a guy one time, a student, a uh, really smart guy, and he, he called me up one time. He's like, dude, I need to talk. I messed everything up. And I was like, okay. So we met, and he said, oh, man. I, he's like, I, oops, sorry. Don't touch the mic. <laughs> He said, listen, he, said, he was a, an aeronautical engineer, so I don't even know what that means. It means he's really smart. And uh, he wanted to be an astronaut. I think that's the direction. He worked for Rolls-Royce, like, really smart kid. And uh, he said, listen, I agreed to this internship, and uh, I don't even know if I want to work for that company when I graduate. I'm like, I don't understand what you're telling me. He's like, listen, this is the engineering world your last internship, you usually get hired onto that company, and I don't know if I agree to that company, and now everything just seems to be messed up. I was like, man, if you don't want to work for the company, don't work for the company. And he's like, yeah, but this and this, this is how the engineering world works. I'm like, listen, stop. Your father knows what you need. Your father knows the job. That you're one of the smartest people. You speak three languages, for crying out loud. You're an aeronautical engineer in McGill. If you can't get a job, I don't think anybody can get a job. It's like, your father knows what you need. He's going to take care of you. Don't find your peace and security in your internship. That's a terrible thing. That's a terrible God to serve. Serve your father who knows and will take care of you. And so this is, this is so important. And another thing I want to say with our family identity is it's a beautiful thing to see family emerge. We, in our city group, we have a guy who was homeless a year and a half ago. Um, I'd hoped to have his story prepared, but the video's not quite done. Uh, really hard life, has a very uh, big mistrust of, of police, um, of law enforcement. That's the word I was looking for, law enforcement. He, uh, he had a father who was a policeman, uh, he was abused by. He was abused um, as a kid in uh, Catholic school. He, um, and then he turned to work for uh, the rock machine as well in the early 90s, uh, well, actually in the 80s, and he was running drugs, and he, he hit a guy, the guy hit his head on the table, and he died. 
uh, went to jail for 10 years and then came out, didn't want to didn't want to work for them anymore, and went ho was homeless for 10 years. And a guy um, from our from our uh, church basically just sat down, started to talk to him, bought him a couple meals, and then it started inviting him to church. He's been coming out to church for the last year and a half, and um, and we got to baptize him, which was just an amazing experience. Um, it was incredible. And, um, and watch him really become part of family. But the interesting thing is, is there's someone in law enforcement in our city group. And uh, when he found that out, he, he, we talked, he's like, Pastor Dave, I don't, I don't know about this. I don't really trust them. I'm like, isn't that God? I think God wants to redeem this part of your heart. I think he wants to release you from some of these fears because only God would bring a law enforcement person and someone who used to run with one of the most notorious biker gangs in Montreal and bring them together and be like, okay, you're family. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. And I've been able to, we've been able to walk with him as he's sort of working some of this stuff through. It's an incredible thing, and he's really become part of our family. Um, it's an amazing thing. But we're also baptized in the name of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to lord his authority over anyone. And he actually came and he washed the disciples' feet. I preached on this one time and it shocked me because not even the lowliest Jewish servant would watch, wash feet. They would actually get Gentile servants to wash feet because they couldn't even do it. And Jesus, who's called rabbi, teacher, master, Lord, humbled himself, got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. And so because of this identity, we're not just family, but we're also servants. And, it, and we try and encourage our groups, you need to serve one another. But not just serving one another, we want to serve our community. So in some ways it means, <clears throat> it means if someone's sick, we bring a care package to them. We actually did this one time. My wife is really great at this. She reminds us of this all the time. She's like, I don't think we should do city group. I think you should go and, and take some soup and pray for the person and do that instead. Like, yeah, okay. Because sometimes we want to think of the study. We want to think of the, like, for some reason in our minds, that's more productive than going out and serving and being Jesus to somebody. I, I wrestle with this all the time. Like, I love being with people. I'll throw away all administration. <laughs> Not always wise, but I'll throw all of that away for a chance to go meet with somebody. God's wired me as a shepherd. I, I love pastoral care. And, uh, and yet sometimes it doesn't feel productive. It's like, oh, like that took two hours away from administration or program stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, but being Jesus is so much better. And so we got to go and minister to one another but we also want to serve our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. We want to find ways, any way that we can, to love those around us. We've had our neighbors come down, and we've been able to serve them food. And, and uh, actually, it was really cool. When we had the baptismal service, one of our neighbors came out and sat on the stairs and watched the whole thing with her kid. But actually, they're kind of out serving us at the point because they're from the Middle East, and so... Um, they love to serve, and he owns a pizza place. And uh, he actually rebuked me for ordering pizza and paying for it. He's like, no, 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 no. You don't ever do this again. You just tell me, and I'll make the pizza there. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but it's a beautiful thing when we begin to serve our neighbors, and we begin to get to know their name, and we begin to find out ways we can do that. But we're also led in mission by the Spirit. We're baptized in the name of the Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies our hearts. It's the power of the Holy Spirit who equips us for mission. And so we, get a, we try and send out our city groups on mission. Each city group tries to take on a different missional commitment. Um, generally speaking, it's geographically located, but because of the universities all over the place for our university groups, we try and have them take on a, a mission. And one, I just want to kind of talk about how we've been able to work all of this stuff out. <clears throat> We, uh, when we first arrived in Montreal, uh, part of my mandate was dealing with, with the students. And so I was like, okay, so what, what can we do? What can we do to serve? What can we do to, to reach um, McGill? 
And uh, what we noticed is, is a lot of the Christian groups and churches, um, in the first week, called Frosh Week, Orientation Week, is they generally focus more on um, serving the Christian community of freshmen that come to the, the campus. This is important. I am not downplaying this by any stretch. People need to understand where communities are, and that's, that's where we get to connect them to churches and, and campus groups and all these kinds of things. So this is an important event, but everybody focuses on that. There's like 6,000 freshmen that are coming that we have no presence in at all. I was like, this is a problem. I mean, when you get a small pool of like 200 people and you have like 30 groups trying to grab at them, it just mathematically doesn't even make sense. So I was like, man, what, what can we do to be Jesus to the other 6,000 people on campus? So we began praying about that. We began asking this question, and the Lord led us to uh, a harm reduction organization that started in Australia. In Canada, it's, it basically gives local churches the ability to go and serve and love uh, uh, university campuses in their midst and basically gives them the branding and the, uh, the training and everything to be able to go in and do that, largely focusing on harm reduction within parties. McGill, if you ever look at the McLean's University rankings, McGill is often in the top 10 for a lot, and parties is one of them. Most of the top 20 schools for parties is almost all in Quebec. I think, personally, you have, in Montreal, you have a very secular city, you have a city that boasts about its liberality approach to sexuality. You have a city that's very proud of its party scene. And you have students that are coming into that environment. Yeah. It's really intense. And uh, so we're like, OK, what do we do? We prayed, we fasted for a year and a half before we ever stepped foot on campus. And eventually, this is a, I'm very shortening this, this story, um, essentially, this, the school said, okay, we were very open. We said, we're a church. We, like, we're, we've, we have this faith-based, nonprofit organization. Here's what they do. Here's the videos of what they do, and here's what we would like to do. We would like to come in your parties, and we would like to be a sober presence, handing out water, handing out food, getting people home okay, watching out for the general health of the people there. This was something that McGill was trying to start already. They were already trying to implement more sober initiatives, but what they found was nobody wanted to be sober. Nobody actually wanted to do it. And we're like, we'll do it. We're totally fine with being sober for a week. That's not hard. <laughs> and so uh, uh, about three years ago, they took a chance on us. And so we came in, and uh, we, we handed out water, granola bars, all that kind of stuff. We did frosh that fall. Uh, we served 6,000 students. Um, we had parties of 1,500, 2,000, and 6,000 um, all day Saturday, and I got to preach that Saturday night after that. That was fun. Um, but, man, I have learned so much about serving and being on mission through that. I've had to literally get down on my hands and knees and clean puke off of someone's feet and legs, and I don't do puke. <laughs> I have two kids, and normally it was like, oh. But alcohol-infused vomit is way worse. And I remember praying, like, Lord, if you want me to do this, you better steal my stomach, because I don't, I don't think I can. And I had to get down, and I had to clean her feet, and I sensed the Spirit saying, as you do the least of these, you do unto me. I've seen paramedics hammer on a guy's chest who OD'd. I've seen these things happen. We've stepped into situations where a guy is making out with a girl. Girl wants to get away. Girl can't get away. And we had to step in and give her a chance to leave. You don't really get to preach in those environments. That's not the time or the place for it. And we would probably be kicked out of the parties if we did. But we get to be Jesus. We get to be Jesus. And it's profoundly changed the way that I view service towards people. Because sometimes, sometimes as churches, when we go in to serve, we want so badly for people to hear the message yeah. that if we don't get to speak the message, we're like, well, is it worth our time? But what's the worst alternative in this case? Some girl could pass out half naked behind a dumpster, and some guy could come along and take advantage of that. 
And we can't allow that to happen. So often they're like, what? Like, you know, I get asked the question when I'm there is like, so who, what do you do? Like, well, I'm the Montreal coordinator for Red Frogs. And they're like, yeah, 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 but you, you don't make money off of that. I'm like, well, not really. Like, so what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm on pastoral staff at a church. They're like, what? No way. So you have, like, family and stuff? I said, yeah. Why are you here? I'm like, ah, been asking myself the same question. <laughs> I said, man, because we want to be good neighbors. You're in our neighborhood. You're in our community. We can, we can be standing outside of these parties protesting or hoping that they get shut down, or we can just roll up our sleeves, clean up the puke off of you, and make sure you get home okay. And, uh, and so, man, sometimes I feel, feel the weight of what we're calling our students into. Sometimes they're really intense environments. But that's, that's one of the things that we do. Other things that we've done, we've, we've partnered with Ravi Zacharias Ministries, we had a Ravi Zacharias event last January. Um, we had a guy named Sam Alberry who came in, and he's done amazing work with the LGBT community. And he did basically a talk with um, uh, Queer McGill, which is one of the LGBTQ uh, communities on McGill. And the R Ravi Zacharias Ministries told us that it was actually one of the like, best conversations that they've ever seen on a campus. That's purely the work of the Spirit. It was an incredible thing to see and watch. I saw this individual come up and say, I'm, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this. And she's, she looked right at Sam and said, I think it, because he's, he's someone who's same-sex attracted, but he affirms a biblical view of sexuality, and so he's chosen to remain celibate. He's chosen to remain single, and that's how he, he lives it out. And, um, and the person said, I think it's so sad that you're not a father, that you've decided like, to be celibate, because I think you'd be an amazing husband. I think you'd be an amazing father. I'm like, this is somebody from the community that's telling him that he would be an amazing husband and father. Like that, that was incredible, but what was more incredible was Sam's response. Because he said, she asked her question, and he said, <clears throat> he said, uh, I'll answer your question in a minute, and thank you, but I want to go back to what you said about me not being a dad. I believe because of my identity in the gospel that I get to be family and I get to be a dad to many, many people. God fulfills that within me because of my new identity in the gospel. And I was like, oh, that's incredible. He's preaching to all of the people in the room. It was such an amazing thing. But out of that, out of that Rabbi Zacharias ministry, we had a guy who went in staunch atheist. We had an alpha group that ran straight out of the event for people who wanted to explore more, and we got to baptize him in March. And now he's turning around and evangelizing other people. We also started another thing where we go into the pub and uh, we address very intense topics. We've addressed sexuality, we've addressed pornography, and we've addressed uh, gender identity. <laughs> when the guy who's helping run it was like, I think we're going to tackle gender, I'm like, oh, <laughs> good for you. And um, but essentially what it is, is what we do is we, he goes in and, and just basically takes all the scientific research surrounding those topics, talks about it, and then talks about this is, we believe in the Bible, we believe in Jesus, this is how, this is what he can do, this is what he has done, and then just leaves it at that. And then we engage in conversation. Out of the pornography uh, talk, I met with two people on the men's hockey team who's like, I want to be set free from pornography. I don't want it to be part of my life anymore. The pathways in my brain that the science is teaching freaks me right out. And I want to look at women differently, and I don't want to objectify them the same way anymore. I want to experience freedom. So we got to walk with him through that. It's incredible. It's so exciting. Um, there's mental health crisis. If you've read, if you've read any of the newspapers, they're, they're picking this up on our campuses, that people are stressed, that they're committing suicide, that there's depression. The, the Montreal Gazette did a huge article on the mental health crisis faced on university campuses. It's huge. And so, as we've been, like, it's not just on campuses, but it's, it's, it's permeating our culture. And so, one of the things that we want to do is we want to try and start some counseling centers as well so that we can begin to say, hey, like, let me help you understand your identity in Christ. 
You're, you're anxious, you're worried. Like, l- let me help you understand who Jesus is and how he can take that anxiety on himself. I mean, that's the basic message, but that's, that's something that the Lord has begun to lay on our hearts. And so we're, we're working in the, the midst of starting counseling centers. And so um, one of the things I just want to testify to the Lord, since we started doing parties, since we started being there, the first week of frosh that we did, we're going into our third frosh this year. It was really intense. It was crazy. It was out of control. Um, just a lot of passed out people, a lot of binge drinking. Like, it was, it was a lot. Last year, we've already watched the culture shift. They've, they've started to add on to their coordinators people who are specifically there to make sure that harm reduction happens. So they've like created positions specifically to make sure that their parties are safe, to make sure that there is a plan. And the one event that we've done, we've, we, we saw like probably 60 to 70 people like throwing up, passed out, needing medical attention the first year we did it, to eight. We're already watching the spirit work and change a whole culture. We were at a party this year that there was no way we were going to be at. And they invited us. They're like, you need to be there. They hired real paramedics to cover their event, which tells you the level of intensity that they expect. And the paramedics told us, you're literally saving lives right now. And so one of the things that we're doing is, is this, this has grown really fast. And we want to bring it to other universities and campuses that are in Montreal. And so I've stepped into a little bit more of a regional role to oversee expansion into Quebec, and we have a girl that's raising support right now to take over the Montreal campus and help train and make that strong, but already the the International Jazz Fest in Montreal, they already started a harm reduction program for their their festival. Oshega, basically the um, uh, big, massive outdoor festival, um, they've also implemented some harm reduction strategies into their festival. So it's like God is doing something really exciting within the party culture that we want to be a part of. And we want to point people to Jesus. And uh, our, my vision, the, the, the peace that the Lord has brought us to is I want to see people discipled and growing in the story and the narrative of the gospel. Living ordinary life in gospel, inten- with gospel intentionality in the identity that we're baptized in. We want to see every university with, served with a city group. I'd love to, in, in McGill, in like two or three years, have a city group serving every single demographic on campus. That it's like, yeah, we're called to the LGBT. Yeah, we're called to engineering. Yeah, we're called to the arts. Yeah, we're called to music. Yes, we're called to this. Muslim students, the arts, all of this kind of thing. And imagine how this could grow in the city of Montreal. Imagine if every neighborhood had a group of 10 to 15 people like motivated by the God. Imagine Cold Lake saturated in this way, that there wasn't a city block that people could get away from. Like, oh, you're a Christian too? Like, like you guys are everywhere. Yeah, I'm getting invited to so many like dinner parties and barbecues and all. Like, what's with you guys? That would be amazing. That would be, that would be incredible. We want to see the gospel go forward so that we can be a family of servants on mission. So um, I want to play a video clip, and this is uh, uh, Sarah Campbell. And this is what can happen in the lives of a student who catches on to the vision of living ordinary life with gospel intentionality. So you can go ahead and play. Yeah. Sarah, <clears throat> Sarah was a blessing to our community, and we miss her a lot. We'd love to have her come back, but... The Lord has saw fit to take her to Thailand, and she, she does amazing work with trafficked people, <clears throat> including the deaf. And uh, it's always interesting when you're, you know, the one leading, and you get ministered more to the people that you're supposed to be leading. Uh, she's taught me a lot, <clears throat> and actually, she's one of the primary reasons why we're even able to do the stuff on campus that we've done. Uh, she was a management student. She had audited the faculty of management, specifically in um, their harm reduction plans. And she was like, you guys are lacking. Here's how you're lacking. 
um, and she knew all the right people, and she like, she's like, I'm going to kick down some doors, and we're going to make this happen. I'm like, great, let's go. And uh, so we've been very blessed by her. Um, so uh, how you can help, we are looking for financial partners. If Quebec is something that the Lord has laid on your heart, like, I just get this amazing vision. Imagine, imagine here in the West supporting Quebec, and instead of hands raised in anger, it was raised in prayer. That there are, there are those of us who are laboring so that the, the, the Quebecois can understand that their deepest identity isn't in language, but instead it could be found in who Jesus is. And man, when you get, when you get Quebecois people excited about Jesus, <laughs> they're excited about Jesus. They let you know it. They're, it's a very passionate culture which is part of the reason why I love the, the, the Quebec culture. And so, yeah, we, we, if that is something that the Lord is leading you to do, I'd love to talk with you. Um, we're going to do a little information session at my parents' house on Wednesday night. Um, we'd love to have you talk. I can talk more about my minist- our ministry and what we're doing. Um, but I really believe that in Canada, if we want to experience revival, we need to be praying, and we need to be praying for those who frustrate us. We need to be praying for people who are difficult. And I know, I feel it. <laughs> I was born and raised in Alberta, and sometimes it's like, really, Lord? Quebec? And yet, I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. Um, if you, um, man, I just, I want you to know the simple truths of the gospel. If this is something that you want to talk about after, I'd be happy to talk with you after. If you want to be, if you want prayer to be, just even to, to how to reach for your neighbors or your coworkers, and you're like, I don't know what I want to do. I just want, man, I'd love to pray with you about that. I'd love to, to, to pray and ask the Spirit to lead you on mission in your neighborhood. Maybe, to, maybe you've even forgotten some of the simple truths of the gospel. I'd be happy to pray with you and help remind you who your Father is so that you can be reminded and be sent out and equipped on mission. And uh, so, yeah, so I'll just pray, and then the worship team comes up. Yeah, okay. So I'll just pray. So Lord, man, we thank you for the truths of your gospel. Lord, thank you how you can change and transform our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would lead Kola community out on mission. Lord, I pray that, um, that uh, this, this church would even be a, a leader in being families of servants on mission, Lord. We thank you for the work that you've done already, Lord. God, I pray that um, the things that, that we learn that we would pass on to others, that we would be able to have disciples that make disciples that go out and just bring your gospel in places that are so, it's so needed, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you just remind us that we're your children? Holy Spirit, would you remind us that, that God is our Father who loves us, that all our security, everything comes from you. So Lord, we just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.